Hello and welcome to the Traumanomics Podcast, a place where we discuss a wide range of topics emphasizing healing, change, and growth for abuse survivors. Drawing from personal and professional experiences, we'll discuss issues openly for those in helping positions such as parents, educators, health and mental health professionals, and members of law enforcement. This is Dr. Chris Bertelson. Chris is a survivor, educator, and author. As a teenager, Chris was a target of a notorious child molester in his hometown, a man who went on to abduct and murder one of the victims. This abduction case went unsolved for 27 years. Chris was instrumental in helping bring attention to the cases, which were eventually solved in 2016. And this is Jordan Howard. Jordan is a therapist here in Arkansas with extensive experience working with abuse victims and males in particular. In addition, Jordan works with couples and people with addictions. Together, we hope to share stories and commentary of resilience and healing in a caring and lighthearted way, bringing attention to issues of abuse, addiction, and the effects on individuals and society. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Traumanomics Podcast, where men talk about stuff men don't talk about. Jordan, uh, we're back here kicking it off. How are you doing? I'm ah, doing all right. Doing all right. Made it, made it through the, the, the holiday. You made know. it through Thanksgiving. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, so that's good. I did too. We had a little snow and weather up in Minnesota, but we made it back and got to see some family. So that was a good thing. And we had our typical weather here in Arkansas of, you know, it was like 30 one day and 75 the next. Right. So. Exactly. Ran the heat here in the go. air in the same day. That's right. Right. That's how we do it. That's what we do. So, well, uh, today we are actually going to kick it off with a uh, topic of grief and Jordan's going to lead us here today with uh, kind of his his story, a little bit of his background uh, on dealing with grief, and um, we'll kind of see where things go from there. Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna start this off by uh, saying that you know there's the uh, Kubler Ross, you know, has the the stages of grief, you know, and uh, you know denial, anger, bargaining, you know, all the stuff that you go through uh, in the process of grief and. I just want to say for you know our listeners, and, and this was true for me, and I think it's, I feel like it's true for most. I don't want to say that, uh, you know, that it always is, but I think those stages come in waves, you know. And so and so I know uh, definitely with my story, that's kind of how it how it played out. Um, and so I'll tell you a little bit about um, about me, and this gives you a little insight to my to my background. But um, so I lost my mother to, to breast cancer. Uh, she was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer in 2001. Uh, she ended up passing away in 2006. So there was a span there, you know, about five years, um, that I got to watch the, um, and for me, I will tell you, she was the, uh, she was the quintessential mother. You know, she's, she's the one that I, I was very connected to. Uh, did a great job as a mom with me, a mom of a boy. We talked about right. boy moms. Yeah, exactly. Here. She was really good with that. And one of the things she was she was probably the best at was making that transition between like you know you're a teenager into being a young adult. And really good at, at taking away that I'm your parent to now I'm sort of your advisor, but you're you know we have a good friendship too. And so, which I'll I'll talk about that a little bit too as we go. But, um, so she was diagnosed in 2001. Uh, and so the way that, the way that the grief process started for me is it, it really kicked off in 01. Because for me, I, I knew 
at when I was outside of the, the, the doctor's office when I was being diagnosed, because I was in college at the time, and I was driving in, and I missed the actual diagnosis. I was in the parking lot when they told me, which, by the way, not the best way to break that news to your son, but okay. So uh, let me just ask, did the medical professionals break the news to you or did somebody from your family tell you my dad my well my dad did i knew i knew by the looks on their face when they walked out i could see it so i knew it was bad um and so at the time when they walk out you know i'm told that my mom had six months if she did no treatment at all and maybe two years if she took took treatment so as a how old have i been in 2001 19 year old in 2001 uh, I get hit with that that news and um, first were you a first year in college freshman in college mm-hmm, I was freshman like in college so yeah. lots of change already lots of change yeah lots of change um, I was also engaged at that point too so I was you know I'm facing this whole thing of being out of the house and being engaged and you know and um, and obviously then this news hits as well mm-hmm. and so for me I remember the the anger the denial, a lot of that really hitting at that point. Uh, because for me, even though I would take times of just denying it and being angry about it, and you know, angry at anybody uh, really about the whole process, you know, I would, um, I still knew, I knew that I knew my mom was on borrowed time at that point, you know, and, and so it became a very real thing very quickly. And so for me, that, that whole transition of, of just Dealing with the grief really came in waves over, I would say, the next five years. How old was your mom when she got the diagnosis? She would have been early 50s at the time. She would have been, I'm going to say, right around 50, 51 at that point, if I'm remembering right. So young. She was young. Yeah, really young. Yeah, she was young. And, um, you know, and just something that that obviously you don't expect. I mean, you, you don't expect to have to deal with that at that age. You know, we have this kind of classic view of our parents that, right, if they're going to, you know, we're going to be older when they pass away. I had seen my grandparents pass away before. So I had some experiences with grief even prior to this. Uh, my paternal grandfather had passed away when I was a junior in high school. Um, and then my my mom's father had passed away the year the year she got diagnosed, actually. And so I had, I had dealt with some grief issues before, but there's nothing like that sting of somebody that you're, you know, your immediate family that you're super close to. Uh, and that's, you know, that's the thing too, that I think, you know, as we talk about grief, I mean, I think there's a big factor in that. I mean, the degree of relationship you have with somebody, you know, I, I'm talking about my mom here, but this could be, this could be a friend, this could be a spouse. It could be, you know, I mean, it's just the degree of relationship you have with that person. But I, but I, I would say for me, the, you know, uh, the big gist of the story with this is I went through a process of about five years of watching my mom, who I care deeply about, just slowly, slowly pass away. So mine was not the experience. I know some that I do therapy with, you know, they lose somebody in a car accident. They lose somebody suddenly. Those are, those are horrible as well. Just a different type, you know, but mine was sort of this withering away, you know? And so she had some good years. She, she got diagnosed in 01 and then took treatment. And I would say about the years of like 03, 04, uh, she had some pretty good, pretty good years, pretty good quality of life during those two years, where she was able to get out and work and do some different things, and and so, it, but it was kind of like a roller coaster because for me, it was that thing of you never knew when things were going to go downhill. The expectation that it was going to, 
And for somebody like me who's dealt with anxiety my whole life too, you just you're constantly like, when is this? You know, what's the timetable I'm working with? Here? Right, and so that feeling of impending doom Absolutely. is what you know. I like to use that phrase, impending doom. You don't know and what form or fashion it's going to take, but in a cancer fight, that's always in, in the back of your mind. If you're, you know, if you've seen that happening, and in your case, over the course of a couple of years, yep. you had already experienced some of that. Right. And yeah, I mean, just, just like you said, that impending doom. I mean, it's just, you know, you're, you're being prepared, you're trying to get prepared. And I think the way I dealt with it at the time was a very like, you know, it, it, some people would be like, oh, it's healthy. I don't, I don't know if it was, to be honest with you. But it was like, I just, I got very just pragmatic with it. It's like, well, she's going to die, you know, and, and that sounds like a cold thing to say, but it, but, you know, I think for me, it's like that, that process of grief, it almost like it had, I, I, I kind of like lured myself into this false sense that I'd worked through it at that point, but yeah, that, that makes sense, but did not happen, you know? So, so we fast forward a little bit to, you know, to where she's, she's very sick, um, and, you know, a lot of the, the role I was thrust in at that time, uh, which, you know, my, my father was dealing with the grief, too, in the best way he knew how, which he was more, he was more hopeful, more optimistic, where I'm more like, this is happening, we've got to deal with it, you know, it's here. And so the role reversal, too, for me at the, at the age of like 19, 20, well, it had been like 21, 22 at the time, you know, having to be like more of the... I, was, I felt more of the adult Parent, parenting Parent, your parents. Yes, yes, in that absolutely. situation, I have, a, I have some experience with that myself. Yeah, which you know, maybe at some point we'll talk about that right. too. Mm-hmm. Right, and it just you know you feel kind of this awkward place, and it's just. Um, but there were a lot of things that that would happen just over that span of time that weren't they weren't me. They weren't the way I would normally respond to things. A lot of anger came out during that time directed at people that had no, I mean, it wouldn't have mattered, uh, you know, who it was. And I really credit my spouse, you know, who uh, you know, I was engaged to at the time, got married in 2002 with uh, really helping me through a lot of that because she became my biggest support during the time and in her parents as well, which I'm super close to. But long story short, she, you know, my mom's going downhill uh, and she passes away. Uh, it was in April of 2006, and I remember the 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 feeling of walking away from the funeral, and it was this immense feeling of I'm on my own. And that may sound crazy to those of you who just heard me say that I had a I had my wife and I had her family and my dad was still alive, but I think Chris definitely gets this. Is you know he's nodding right now. It's just yeah, you know, is that feeling of I have no safety net. And my mom had always been that safety net. And I'm not, you know, I, I would argue that, yeah, I was, I was a little bit entitled. I was an only child. So she had, she had overindulged me a little bit with stuff. No I doubt. was not entitled as an only child. So it's really interesting. You that know, is. and we've, you and I have talked about this off air. It seems like there's some extremes with only children at times, doesn't it? There are. Yeah. Yeah, there so, are. It's, it's I'm sure way, you see it in therapy. One way or another. Right? Yeah. It seems like yeah. there's, it's very uh, cut Absolutely. and dried, you know, like Absolutely. beef jerky. So. That's, that's right. <laughs> yeah. We love our beef jerky. We do. We yeah. do. Yeah. So, uh, but, you know, so I, it's just this feeling of you're on your own. And, uh, and I've explained that, you know, uh, obviously I knew my wife was there for me, but I, I felt like if, it, you know, life was on me. 
I was either going to succeed or fail or whatever during that time. But just that 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 pressure and that feeling that um, I think we all go through probably at some point. But I remember it hitting me really hard at that time. And I didn't always do so well with that. I mean, there was a lot of depression that set in, a lot of just my anxiety kicked into like, you know, to where there was crippling at times to where, you know, I, you know, I can remember spending a week, you know, just I think on my couch to where it's like I didn't want to move, like literally, you know, didn't want to move. And so um, throughout that whole time period and, and what I, I guess my takeaway and what I, what I want to and what I try to try to get across to people from my experience with grief is, is a couple things. There is a, a time and I think a place to be able to be supportive and encouraging to people. I will tell you, though, and I've learned this throughout time from my father-in-law, who's wonderful. He's, he's a minister, and he's, he's great at he, one of the things he's really good at is doing funerals. He's good at a lot of things, but he's really good at that. And one of the things he's told me is, is that you, like, really when you're in those situations, dealing with somebody that's been through grief, they just need to know you're there. I can remember the people that were there that showed up. Don't know what they said to me. Don't remember any of that. But I can remember people being there. And that's the thing that will carry with you, I think, as you're walking through this, this grief stuff that you're dealing with. Um, and I know a lot, of, a lot of us around the holidays, you know, you deal with this. Because you think of those, those memories, those holiday memories you've had with a loved one. And I know for years, you know, that, that would kind of come up for me too. You know, Christmas time would be hard. You know, especially that first year, you know, that first year after somebody's gone, Christmas time, birthdays, Mother's Day, any of those big days, it's like, gosh, you just want to avoid them. You don't want to deal with them at all. You'd right. rather them just go away. And I think to your point about those holidays being that way, it's probably, I've heard this anyway, and you can throw your two cents in on it, but grief tends to be circular too in that way when you feel like from the 4th of July through, you know, October, things are pretty darn good. And then Thanksgiving rolls around and you are sometimes, I was anyway, flooded with some memories Absolutely. that, that uh, really just bring the grief right back up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I literally remembering just wanting to skip the entire season. For, <laughs> yeah, for like, right. just, can, I, can I just get through just to fast January forward. 1 and we'll right. go on? Fast you know? forward to January, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Right. But, but I think, you know, uh, and I think backtracking a little bit here too, one of the things that, that bothers me today when I see, um, when I go to funerals, uh, you know, or, or, you know, attend one, is, and I don't know if you've seen this, Chris, you, you probably have, but I've seen especially, I will say, a lot of young men get thrust in this role where let's say that a, that a father passes away or an uncle passes away or, or something to where, there is this sense for young men where you walk up to, a, you know, I remember this specifically at a funeral I was at, but I heard it said to a 14-year-old boy, well, son, you're the man of the house now. now right. You take care of everybody. And it's like, guys, if I, if I want to preach one thing today, that's ridiculous. Because that's thrusting somebody in a role that they're not ready for. And that's not their role. That's not what they're supposed to do. Yeah, that's really... Uh... I don't know if I've ever actually heard somebody say that to a, another person, a young person mm-hmm. like that. But boy, what a tremendous uh, amount That's of pressure that would put on someone. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, I, yeah I, for sure. I've literally, literally heard it. And, and it was one of those like, in my heart, like, and this was before I was a therapist, but it was just a cringe moment of just like, that's. and I think at the time I was new, I was like, that's not right. I mean, that, that's not... Uh, you know, it's one thing if somebody wants to take that, but I mean, to thrust that on somebody. Mm-hmm. But but you hear a lot of this stuff, 
right. you know, throughout the grief process. So, and one thing too, that I, I would add, you know, is that, um, the different way people grieve you, like I know in this situation, obviously the relationship with my mom was different for me and my dad. It was a thing to where obviously he's grieving the loss of a spouse. I'm grieving the loss of a mother. And I think we dealt with it in two just completely different ways, which, you know, is not, it's not saying maybe that one's healthier than the other. It's just saying it's different. And that's the other big thing that I wanted to get across. I think sometimes we make it to where there's a certain way that you have to grieve. Healthy versus, and, and I'm not trying to necessarily argue with those because I mean, I, I, you know, I'm sitting here right now without any stats or anything like that to look at, but my encouragement, I guess, to our listeners is like, you know, you're going to grieve the way you grieve and, and that that's okay. You know, obviously I'm not promoting go out there and do a bunch of unhealthy stuff because it won't help is the reality. But you're going to do what you do and your process is yours. You know, I, and, and I look at, I look at mine to say where, you know, now it's kind of one of those things where I don't, I'm not a believer that time heals all, but time helps. Time does help. That is true. Um, One thing I was wondering is just from a really practical perspective, what sorts of resources, what sorts of things as a therapist would you recommend if you could go back and say, you know, I wish I'd have had this when I lost my mom. What sort of, I mean, one thing that comes to mind for me is a grief support group. And I know people that have had to, had uh, those types of relationships through a church or something. What else? What else did I mean? This is going to sound super simple, and, and, I, and but for me, if I if I'm being honest, for me, it would have been it would have been great to have people that just occasionally that that were very cl- that would just occasionally check in on you as far as ju- but. That's the thing. It's kind of a tough spot because I, I I remember being me and like I don't want a lot of people coming up to me and being like, "Well, how are you doing?" I didn't want I, would, I, I just didn't want that. I don't like that. Um, but I think like you're saying, a group of people, a support network of some point that would just would just know, and like like you would like I would know without without anything being said. And, and you know what I'm talking. I think we all no, I know exactly, we all know that. I know exactly what you're talking about, and I can relate it to. You know, things that I've experienced now at my age now that other people experienced earlier that I could not relate whatsoever. And for example, I hadn't lost a parent until 2011. So I couldn't have, I wouldn't have had the same level of empathy that I would now. And so being around those like people with like experiences certainly has to help. And having people who just get it. I, Another example I think of is losing a child. Oh, I can't. I can't imagine. Can't imagine that. But I know people. I have good friends who have who have gotten through that, gone through that process, and Mm -hmm. you know they're okay, despite that. You know the old saying or the old you always hear. You know you're not supposed to outlive your kids. You know, and and yet some people come through those. They do. Uh, they come out okay. There's a way to heal. There's a way that, to heal. That's 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 the key, right? And yeah. I think turning that in a lot of these instances, I know people have turned those situations and used them for good, and you know, scholarship Absolutely. funds or fundraising runs and things in in that lost child's honor. Absolutely. Well, we are out of time, uh, Jordan. Thanks for your. Uh, 
for your story, for sharing with us. And uh, again, folks, we appreciate you listening to the podcast, first of all. Uh, we've got some Instagram action going. Finally. <laughs> Finally, we got a Facebook page. Uh, you know, we still take listener feedback. If you want to reach out to us, you can email upstartresilience at gmail.com or reach out to us through social media. And again, thank you for uh, tuning in and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks, guys. This podcast is made available by Upstart Resilience, LLC, for educational purposes only, as well as to give you general information and a general understanding of the subject matter. This podcast is not designed to give specific professional advice. By using this podcast, you understand that there is no counselor-client relationship nor any other professional relationship between you and the hosts. This podcast should not be used as a substitute for competent professional advice from a licensed professional in your state.